But seriously, when you think about that movie, Liar, Liar, the best comedians are usually those who simply say what we know is already true. Can you imagine if you had a little screen that was over your head that like projected what you were thinking in your week-to-week conversations? Might not be pretty. But it begs the question, like, is Jim's character right? Is it really just a matter of willpower? Can we positively visualize our way into a better mind? And today, that's one of the things that we're going to look at. And i got to be honest. I just started reflecting, and I started doing some math today, yesterday, the week before. Um, and I've been trying to do this daily relationship with Jesus thing for almost 20 years. And I thought it was going to be a lot easier at this point in the game. Uh, and maybe not easier, but I just didn't think that joy would be harder to find. I didn't think that, that I'd have so many battles right here, in this space between my ears. And some of us are here because we really want to walk with Jesus. We want to see him, we want to know him, we want to be changed. We want this life that, that Jesus talks about that is heaven now. And, and we're almost there. Like, something's missing. For a lot of us, we want it, but there's just, like, there's something. It's either hope or peace or love or, I don't know, it's just this peace that we have that seems elusive. But for others of us, we're kind of more on the other end of the spectrum. There's not, like, a little something missing. There's handfuls of somethings missing. We wake up and... It's all we can do to survive. It's all we can do to not think about darkness, to not think about death, to not think about depression. We're in a tough, tough place. And, and we just want to, to have a glimmer of hope today. We want a little relief from our life. And maybe today, gathering in worship for you is really a, kind of a, more of a last-ditch effort at hope. And if you're there... I'm glad you're here, and that's okay. So I started thinking about some of these things that happen up here in my head, and then I started having some conversations and praying a lot, and I realized I'm not the only one that's a head case. There's lots of people that have problems right up here. You know, we worry about things way too much, and and we always compare ourselves to others, and we can't seem to kick those things that we want to change, and we have dreadful thoughts throughout the day. And if you're there, then this is a good series for you, because it's all in our head. So let's pray. God, we are here because we we want to we want to see you. Even if we don't know you, we want to know that you're real or we want to ask questions and be in a place that that allows for those questions and so God may we be in that place personally, mentally, communally, maybe in a place where where we can ask those questions where we can have our doubts, we can have our fears and and you're um, willing to take those, and we're a community that's willing to take those. And so, God, can we um, be open to hear you? And, God, may we be open to be changed by your word today. And may we be open to be really honest about our life and our attitudes, not just today, but throughout um, this series as we look at your word. 
Amen. Well, one of the devotions, I guess you'd call it, that I do almost every day, almost every day, is um, this, this phrase says, expect temptations, distractions, and attacks. Um, you are in a constant spiritual war for control of what you think, say, and do. Because Satan is out to defeat you. The battle is in your mind. A couple of people agree with that. I don't know if you agree with that, but if you do, then we have to ask that question, what's up here? What's in your head? What goes on in the day-to-day, moment-to-moment stuff? If we're just a group of ordinary people trying to uh, seek God, to know God through the person of Jesus, then we need to get honest and be able to kind of remove or not even put on any religious masks and just be honest about some of those thoughts that sabotage our mind. Sabotage is kind of a strong word, but uh, it means to deliberately destroy or damage or obstruct something. I think it's kind of a pretty appropriate word for what happens right up here. So I thought of a few things. I want you to ask God if any of these are accurate for you. So the first one is personal sabotage. Personal sabotage is when you have thoughts like, I don't have what it takes. I can't do it all. I'm just not good enough. No matter how hard I try, I can't get it done. Everyone else gets all the breaks, but I don't. No, nothing goes right for me. Nobody notices me. Or, or maybe these personal sabotages have to do with the way you look. And so you're like, oh, if I can only move this thing from here to put it over here. Notice how I was very far away from my body when I did that. Or if I could only do this, if I could only change that, if I could just have reconstructive surgery, if I could only be taller, if I could only be shorter, if I could only be thinner, or whatever. Like, we personally sabotage in those ways. Anybody? Anybody? All right, you don't have to tell me. All right. Um, second, the if-only sabotage. This is the one that starts with, if only. If you're single, if only I was married. And if you're married, it's like, if only I was married to someone else. If only I could wipe out my school loan debt. Or if only I could move out of my parents' house. Or if only I could find some good friends. Or if only I could get rid of my credit card debt. Or if only I did better in school. Or if only I had children, then I'd be happy. And if you have children, if only if I could have different children, then I'd be happy. And if only I had a better job. And see... If only I had a car that worked. If only I had a bigger house. And, and the list goes on and on, and we sabotage. Number three, relational sabotage. This is where we, we get really skeptical about our relationships. You know, every time I trust a person, I get burned. I can't trust someone farther than I can throw them, especially guys. They're all the same. Oh, I wish my wife was like this. Oh, I wish my husband was like this. You know, if I have to pick up one more pair of underwear off the floor, I'm going to burn them. And then what are you going to do? We'll just leave it there. You know, he'll just never change. She'll just never change. Oh, they'll just never change. Uh, My friends, they're just awful. They betray me. My boss is a jerk. I think he's literally going to Hades. My, my family, oh my gosh, talk about the underworld. Holidays are like hell. I just can't understand it. Everybody screwed up in my family. Hmm? Relational sabotage? This one has a funny name, amplification sabotage. You're like, why did you pick such a complicated title? Amplification sabotage is because it's a lot shorter to write down than mountain to mohill sabotage. This is where we take something that's really small, like slightly bothersome, and all of a sudden it becomes gigantic. 
And if you do this, then, then maybe it uses worry or fear or negativity or doubt. Like if you're in the car and someone's incredibly slow in front of you and you lose it, you might be sabotaged by the amplification thing. If you're in the, in the checkout line and you're like counting the person in front of you and it's like causing you immense amounts of this, then you might have amplification sabotage. If life shuts down, if coffee runs out in your house, amplification sabotage, Okay. I missed a stoplight this week. It was yellow, and it was going to be, like, way red if I was going to go through. So I slowed down in my man van to a screeching stop, and I'm like, and I yelled to no one, and I gripped the steering wheel and had these little veins pop out. I'm like, where did that come from? Amplification sabotage. And, And finally, I think some of us spiritually sabotage ourselves. We have questions like, you know, how come God never hears my prayers? Everybody else says they pray and they get answers. I never get answers. Um, Everybody else says they get close to God, but I I just try and try and try and try and get close to God, and I can't. He just is so far away. and, And, you know, other people say that God speaks to them, and God doesn't speak to me. And I just get silence. It's a spiritual sabotage. How many of you know someone who would fit into one of those categories? Okay, that's easy, right? How many of them live in your house? Don't answer that one. Um, But I I didn't come today to talk about just sabotage. I didn't come today to worship God to point fingers at other people. I came here today for God, to worship God, for the good of others, and to get a little healing myself. And if you did too, then we have to get honest about which categories we fall into. So I encourage you, if one of those spoke to you, that you write it down. You're honest about it. You pull it out. When I look through that list, there have been different times in my life where I have fit into every one of them. Fortunately, not all at the same time. It's not a pastor cop-out. I'm not just trying to like, relate to everyone. It's just true. Every time. It's been a hard place up here. Because um, I think it is a battle. And I think it is spiritual. And so if you're someone who doesn't follow Jesus, you need to know that there's a spiritual enemy out there that doesn't want you to follow Jesus. And if you are someone who follows Jesus, you have an enemy that wants to distract you from following Jesus. And if this enemy that we call Satan can't distract us from following Jesus, then Satan wants to rob us of our joy. John 10.10 says this, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, my purpose is to give life to the full in all its fullness. The thief's purpose wants to steal and kill and destroy. The only thing Satan wants to do, as far as I can tell, in human lives is to steal joy, to destroy our positive relationships or kill our positive relationships and destroy the attitude of people who want to follow Jesus. Because if we're defeated, then we have no power. We have no Holy Spirit power because we are living just ruined. So the question is, has Satan or some situation stolen your joy? Has a situation or Satan killed a friendship? Or has Satan or a situation sabotaged your attitude. And if so, 
And how do we get it back? Fortunately, I think God's word has some answers to that. Philippians 2. Philippians, one of the major themes of this letter is joy. We'll read it and then we'll get into why one of the major attitudes was joy. So Philippians 2, 1 through 5 says this. Therefore, if, um, which could also be translated maybe since, so therefore since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, and if any of you have comfort in his love, or since you have comfort in Jesus' love, and if you have a common sharing in the Spirit, or if your souls have community, if you have received tenderness and compassion, which he's saying you have, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, which doesn't mean all the same, but thinking the same thoughts, having the same love, being one in spirit and in mind. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others better than yourselves. Do not look only to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. If you look in verse 2, like-minded and mind are in there twice. And if you look at verse 5, mindset, they're all the same word. But before we do a word study, we need to understand what the story is, what's going on here, why did he write what he wrote. Fortunately, it's pretty easy to figure out. Do a little research, you find out about this town called Philippi, sweet town. It is about 100 years before Paul writes this letter to them. There is a huge battle And basically a bunch of leaders, two leaders have assassinated Caesar. And so Rome is the empire of the time. And it's pretty much split east and west. And so these two defectors and then these three are doing a battle between east and west. And Greece on the map is the line. And Philippi is the closest city to where this battle takes place before civil war breaks all out in the Roman Empire, which pretty much controls the known world. Huge deal. Just south of Philippi, this battle takes place. These three from the west win. And so Philippi is set up as like a military outpost and almost a monument to victory, to peace in the land. So the people who live in Philippi, they don't have to pay any taxes. They pretty much have an autonomous government. Uh, They're treated as if they live in Italy, if they live in Rome. They're kind of treated like royalty. Plus, they're a major highway from the west to the east, so commerce comes through. I mean, life is good in Philippi. They haven't experienced a lot of hardship. My parents used to tell me that I had a silver spoon in my mouth. Some of you might know what that means. It means I didn't experience a lot of hardship as a kid. I remember having friends that had to get up at five to milk cows before they came to school because I grew up in a farming community, and I was like, ooh, that sounds hard, but I had no idea. You know, people who have hardship can endure a little bit more. People who've lived without can usually endure without. People who haven't, they don't know what to do. Well, Philippi is like that. I imagine a city of upper-middle-class suburban kids, and I don't mean that condescendingly. I just mean they haven't had to go through much tough stuff. But now they are. According to chapter 1, they're enduring some hard stuff and they're discouraged, and they don't know what to do, and the battle's going on up in their mind. And so 
they hear about Paul, who, who started the church, who went there. Um, they didn't even have a Jewish synagogue. They just had some people who met down by the river to pray. And so from that, this church started. And it was great. And then Paul left, and he went and started other churches. They're like, yay, Paul. And then he gets whipped. He gets shipwrecked. He gets beaten. He gets sent to jail. Now they're like, oh, no. They're seeing Paul in jail. They're seeing Paul undergoing hardships. They're undergoing hardships. And now they're thinking, like, oh, my gosh. I don't know if we can do this. And so when Paul writes to them, he's saying, you're sabotaging yourselves. And there's a couple things that we can get out of this letter that I think are very applicable to our lives. I mean, the first thing Paul says is he's like, quit dwelling on the negative stuff. Some of us just go there. But he's saying like, in chapter 1, I'm paraphrasing, he says, hey, being arrested and being sent to Rome and being jailed is actually advancing the message of Jesus. Because, you know what, even the guards, the jailers, they're coming to know Jesus. It's great. And these other people are going, oh, wow, Paul, you're not, it's not so bad being in jail. I mean, you're not suffering so much, so what do we have to fear? We're going to go out and share Jesus too. And so other people are sharing Jesus. He's like, I'm just choosing joy, and I appreciate your prayers but buck up, because I know that in some way, Jesus is going to get praise whether I live or I die. Let's just pause for a second. How many of us live that way? How many of us can say that? Hey, you know what? I'm choosing joy because whether I live or I die, I think Jesus is going to get the praise. And so whatever happens, conduct yourselves in ways that Jesus will be honored. Then whether I get to see you or I can only hear about you because I'm still stuck in jail. Then, stand firm in the spirit and strive in the faith. Don't be frightened by those who oppose you. See, you've got to change your mind. You've got to quit dwelling on the negative. You've got to start thinking of this as, verse 29 and 30, like you have the privilege, Paul says to these people, not only to believe in Jesus, but to suffer with Jesus. That's not a message we hear very often, is it? Like, we just want to believe in him, but we don't want to suffer with him. And Paul's saying there's a privilege in suffering with him. So quit dwelling on the negative stuff. So he says, you know, since you have encouragement from being united with Jesus, and you have encouragement from being comforted in his love, and you have a sharing in his spirit, and you have tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, thinking the way that I think, thinking good thoughts, not dwelling on the negative, being of one mind. Kind of got going there. Our mind is an incredible thing. If you've done any research on it, it's amazing. It will go where we lead it. Have you ever bought a new car or an almost new car? You know, one time we bought a silver Accord, not a Mercedes, a silver Accord, and I'm like, woo, we got it. This is, like, this is under 50,000 miles. This is great. Like, nobody has a silver Accord, and then we're going down the highway. What happens the month after you buy a new car? Like, you see every other silver car that you've ever seen. Like, how many people have silver Accords? This is crazy. It doesn't matter what it is. You could buy, like, a red Fiat, and all of a sudden you'd see 17,000 red Fiats. They'd be everywhere, because our mind goes to where we take it. So if we decide to quit dwelling on the negative, then we can beat it. It's a bit like two of my most unique birds. Vulture. I mean, vultures, they're kind of cool because they're just ugly. Let's just be honest. I mean, I don't know what God was thinking with vultures. And then what they eat, like dead carcasses. Can you think of a more uncreative bird? And there's no color. They're like black. I mean, no offense to black, but like 
Get some life in you. Like, ugh. So they go after, like, dead stuff. Now, hummingbirds, those are my other unique favorite bird, because they're just tiny, and plus, their wings go faster than my mouth, and, I mean, they go up, down, left, right, backwards, forwards. They're just... And what do they find? They find flowers. They find nectar. They find sweet, good things. You know where I'm going with this? The vultures, they find dead stuff. They find rotted, dead meat. Hummingbirds find honey, nectar, sweet things. Because we will find what we're looking for. If we want to find dead stuff, if we want to find stuff that just makes us feel awful, if we want to find things to complain about and whine about, we'll find them, because my wife tells me that. And so, just confession... (laughs) But if we want to find God's presence, if we want to find God's goodness, if we want to find the things that bring joy, we will find it if we look for it. Because the battle is right here. I went to a funeral this week. I don't love going to funerals. I was thankful I didn't have to do the funeral. And it was for Ryan's mom and Allison's mother-in-law. And six weeks ago, the doctors told Ryan and his mom that that she had about uh, six months to a year to live. And then Allison and I met three weeks ago, and the doctors told her she had about five or six weeks to live. And then 12 days ago, she passed away, or 12 days after that, she passed away. She She was 52 years old. She left three kids. It was really... Um, tragic. And yet, as I sat in the funeral, as I listened to Ryan do just this amazing tribute to his mom, and I heard other people in the lobby talking about his mom, who just, who beat cancer for a while and then just came back in full force and just ravaged. Um, Cancer defeated Ryan's mom, Cindy's body, but it never ever sabotaged her mind from everything I heard from Ryan, from everything I heard at the funeral. She just never focused on the negative stuff. And it was unbelievable. Cindy, Cindy chose to, to be the hummingbird. Every moment of her, of her, from what I can tell, her life, not just her last days. And I think we can learn a lesson from Cindy and from the hummingbird. And I think we can learn a lesson from God in his word here. What do you want to choose to dwell on? Since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, since you have comfort from his love, since you have tenderness, since you're united in spirit, since we share this idea that we want to follow Jesus, that we want to choose Jesus, since we have tenderness and compassion, then can we decide, can we have a like Mind, because that's what the word means. This word mind, or, or sometimes translated attitude, it means to exercise or to decide. So this morning, I did not feel like running at all. I mean, the last thing I wanted to do was get out of bed and run, but I'm like, no, I need to exercise my body. So even if it's only 20 minutes, I'm going to do two miles or 2.2 miles, and I'm going to do it because I need to exercise and that's what the word means. We have to exercise our mind. And by, by thinking about the hummingbird and thinking about the life that Cindy lived, we can exercise our minds. 
But let's just be honest. What if we don't have a strong mind? What if we don't have a strong faith? You know, Cindy had both of those, but what if we don't have both of those? What if we think we have too much sin or too much self or too much sadness to do this? What's our hope? There is. Got to go down to verse 5, the last time he uses the word mind. He said, each of you have a mindset of Christ Jesus. The action that we can take, if, we're, if we don't think our mind is strong enough or we don't think our faith is strong enough, the action we can take to stop the attitude sabotage is to dress up like Jesus. Now, you might think I'm being funny when I say that, um, and the pictures are certainly going to show that I'm being funny when I say this because I really, like, way too excited about this October 31st thing. Um, you know, I'm just like, yeah, because we're just not going to be like Buzz and Woody. We're going all out. You know, we're just not going to be Spider-Man. We're like hanging up in a tree by climbing ropes because we got to go all out. But when my girls decide to dress up as Laura and Mary Ingalls, I don't know if you've read the Little House in the Prairie books, it's back to the 1800s in our house. I mean, they're just like churning the butter and they're using the cook stove and they're going outside to go to the bathroom. No, not that part. But... um, (laughs) They go back into that spot. They make believe right into it. Now, I would never, like, actually jump off my roof because I know I'm not Spider-Man. But children have an imagination that takes them absolutely into that spot. And that's what this... I mean, the verse actually means dress up like Jesus. It means put on the mind of Christ. And that might seem childish, but a really smart guy named C.S. Lewis, who wrote Mere Christianity, um, actually says this. He says it helps us to pretend to be like Jesus, just like a child might dress up and pretend to be a soldier or a firefighter or a teacher or a store owner. Because just as a child's imaginary games helps that child to develop skills that are useful to be a real soldier or a real firefighter or a real teacher or a real shop owner, so too pretending to be Jesus will surely show us where we need to grow. I think he's on to something. Might sound childish, but I think he wants to push us in the right direction here. Because how many of us, when we're having a bad day or we're standing in line and somebody like can't scan their items, do we go, I'm going to be Jesus. And what would Jesus say to that person? And how would Jesus look at that person? And I'm going to just put on the mind of Christ. So if you're feeling mentally sabotaged, or if you, you know, are honest, you're like, you know, I'm sabotaging myself. I don't think we can think our way out of this. We first need to see Jesus for who he is. Each of you should put on the mind of Christ, verse 5 says, who was God in his very nature, who is the Lord, who did not consider it equality with God to be just in divinity, 
and, and use it to his advantage. No, he came down and made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. And even though he was made in human likeness, he conformed to the image of man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even, even death on a cross, the criminal's death, the lowest death of the low, where all rights and privileges have been stripped away from him. He did not use his advantage of being God, but he humbled himself and became obedient to that death. And therefore, the poet or hymn goes on to say, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord for the glory of God the Father. We can't do this on our own. There are some certain good mental techniques that can help us. We should exercise our mind. If we're in a really dark place, therapy is okay. It's helpful. We go to the doctor when we're sick. We go to the surgeon if we break our ankle. We should go to the therapist if our mind is messed up. That's okay. But we can't ultimately do it on our own. Jesus did what we couldn't do. He was divine And he did not use that to his advantage. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he exchanged our wrong for his right. And he gives us not only the ability and access to have a relationship with the creator of the universe, but to be known and loved and his son and his daughter. To see and experience divine life, not out of anything we do. If you've never, never understood that, today, in a moment, I encourage you um, to just consider it and say yes to Jesus. To say, you did what I couldn't do, and I trust you, and I will live by you, and I will live for you, and you will give me, you promise this life of fullness, not a life that's easy, What a life of fullness. And if you have trusted Jesus, then no matter how old you are, do you turn your thoughts over to him? No matter how long you've walked with him, do you daily trust him? Do you daily admit, you know, there are temptations and distractions and attacks, but I can choose to live for you. I can choose to follow your way. So in a moment, um, the band's going to come up. Uh, as the creative team and I were sitting down and saying, well, how can, we, how can we put this into practice? How can we actually do something with this? I mean, sure, we can say, hey, I'm not going to dwell on negative thoughts. We can say, I want to trust Jesus. We can pray. And in a few minutes, you'll be able to do that if you want to do that. Um, but... Can I, can I go public with my decision to have put on the mind of Jesus? Um, so we came up with the 21-day hummingbird challenge. How does that sound? Does it sound like a gimmick? kind of is, because sometimes we need gimmicks. It says, I will, I will dwell on the sweet things, not on the dead things, for the next 21 days. I will not allow negative sabotage into my life. I will replace negative thoughts with God thoughts. And that verse that Sean read before is at the bottom. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, we should think about such things. If you want to go public, whether it's with your relationships or your family or your friends, and you want to say, you know what, I will do that. I'll do that for 21 days. I just went on a retreat last week, two weeks ago, and uh, it was with a bunch of other church planters. And we said, hey, what if we didn't complain about anything? Not that I have anything to complain about, by the way. You guys are all great. (laughs) What if we didn't complain about anything for the whole day? It was awesome. One of the guys couldn't talk very much, but it wasn't me. But it was awesome. (laughs) I'm not going to rat him out, though. So it's going to be over here. And as we sing this next song, if, if that's your prayer, if that's your decision, I encourage you to write your name on the whiteboard and then grab a card so we can go public together. If you're like, you know, I really need to just, I need to turn this over to Jesus. I need to take that card. I need to sign it. I just need to stick it on the cross. That's a glorious moment. You can do that too. Our minds are a powerful thing but they are under the sovereign power of God. So let's pray. God, will you help us to trust you every day? God, if we don't know you, will you show yourself to us? We become real and powerful in our lives so that we could live a life of fullness, a life of love, a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of hope. And even if we've got things, bunches of things that are missing, God, would you come and fill? God, we choose, I choose to commit to stop the sabotage that I do to myself. That's your prayer. You can say that too. God, we choose to stop the sabotage that we do to ourselves. Give us the power, God, to not dwell in the negative, to not dwell in the destructive, but to replace those things with your truth. God, renew our minds with the truth of your word. Help us to put on the mind of Jesus. In your name, Holy One, I pray. Amen.